electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod, something Washington can agree on, the competitive threat from China. Both Democrats and Republicans last night were talking about decoupling the U.S. and Chinese economies. D.C.'s plans to protect American data and the economy. We'll also talk China and so much more with Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin. We know we need to build semiconductor capacity. We know we need to build electric vehicle uh, battery capacity. We know we need to build solar panel technology capacity, but we're diddling around on the edges and making it hard to do this. Insulin cheaper. Meg Terrell reports on Eli Lilly's 70% price cut to the life-saving med. They're actually lowering that list price. This is something we almost never see drug companies do. And Goldman Sachs and Tesla have new messages for Wall Street. Plus, the issue with AI's issues. No, but all AI is giga garbage in, garbage out. It's what is it? You, it's that's what, the all qu- of it no, is. No, but that, that's the question. It Does is. it transcend that eventually? It's Wednesday, March 1st, 2023. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one. Cue it, please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Uh, Shares of Rivian plunging after a gain of 4.6% in yesterday's session, adjusted loss of $1.73 per share. Wasn't as bad as the $1.93 per share loss that analysts had expected, but revenue, here was the number a lot of focus, focus on, $663 million. It missed estimates of $742 million. And for 2023, Rivian forecast vehicle production of 50,000 vehicles. That's roughly double last year's total, but below expectations of 60,000. Now, Rivian said supplier shortages forcing multiple days of lost production during the quarter. I saw one yesterday. Yeah, uh, it, yeah in, the, in the Lincoln Tunnel. In a fan? Well, I deliberately turned around to look at the front of it and it was a truck. Smile at you? It was a happy truck. It's a happy truck. It was a happy. You, were you looking at the SUV version? No, or the, uh, uh, no, it was a pickup. Pickup. It was a pickup, like pickup. But it was it was smiling. And yeah. so I guess that was before. I don't know. It did not we, look. We concerned. all think about Rivian in the context of the images that you're seeing on camera right now. Right. But a big part of their business is the uh, delivery vehicles that they have right, uh, exactly. manufactured for Amazon. But it's the vertical uh, lights. Headlights. What's you're the starting point? to see that. What's the point? There's, you're starting to see that vertical headlight thing. Is there a thing. Uh, form follows function reason for it? I, like you, a, have you not noticed that? Some of some yeah, Fords are now but, having it. I mean, it's, it that, that sort of that thin light across the top yeah. has become a thing. I think I've been seeing it in a lot of just must EVs, be yeah. almost as suggestive of this is an EV. Right, exactly. I don't think it necessarily is, right. is better. It's maybe. just distinctive. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, meantime, GM cutting hundreds of salaried positions in a push to preserve cash. A source telling CNBC the cuts affecting 500 positions across various functions of the company. The news coming roughly a month after CEO Mary Barra and CFO Paul Jacobson telling investors that the company was not planning any layoffs. In a statement emailed to CNBC, GM said the cuts are a result of performance 
and that they will assist in, quote, managing the attrition curve as part of GM's cost reduction effort. Tesla, as we noted at the top, is holding an investor day uh, at its Giga factory in Texas. CEO Elon Musk plans to unveil the company's Master Plan 3, the path to a fully sustainable energy future for Earth. Not, not a big goal, really, there. Tesla's first master plan in 2006 was to build a sports car, use that money to build a more affordable car, still trying to do, and then use that money to build an even more affordable car and provide electric power generation options. Master plan uh, part two unveiled in 2016 involved creating solar roofs with battery storage, expanding the product line to include a pickup truck, electric bus, and semi truck and make self-driving capability 10 times safer than manual driving. Still working on that. It's unclear what exactly will be included in today's presentation. Might be a uh, settlement on Mars. Nobody knows. Uh, but Reuters is reporting that Tesla is planning a revamp of its top-selling uh, Model Y. I still refuse to eat potatoes that are grown in poop. <laughs> That's because you're not stranded on Mars with nothing else to eat. Give exactly, yourself time. Exactly. Do you think Give that, yourself time. Do you think he'll mention Mars? Seriously. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not be, it's not, he's so, you know, unpredictable, oh. as we've seen in the last, <laughs> again, in the last week or so. Yeah, yeah. You must have been just horrified. I don't know if I'm horrified. I think there's going to be a lot of different AIs. No, I'm just talking about what Elon, Elon Musk sort of saying that, I'm not agreeing with Dilbert, but sort of saying that the media itself has got some issues with systemic you know. oh I, I yeah I'm on a, I'm I'm not with Elon on this that's what I mean yes that's what I mean we'll, I, we'll talk to Jonathan about that but are we is AI going to give us a replay of the early of the Twitter situation we had before Elon Musk came? is it going to be like that everything that you you bring up it's going to be skewed in, in that way I think there's going to be multiple versions of all of this it's going to train on different types of news so that you well, have some kind yeah. some kind of you know what I'm AIs saying that are going you, to be, you have noticed that certain social media sites do seem to I mean, they're all based out there in La La Land, California, so they do tend to lean that way, right? Give the benefit of the doubt a lot to a certain side of, of things. Is, is AI going to be like that? Is it going to be Gigo, or is it going to be smart enough? I think going to be multiple versions of it. That's what I'm, I'm no, saying. All, all so there'll be a truth, Gigo. there'll be a... Uh, no, but all AI is Gigo. Garbage in, garbage out. It's what is it? It's that's, what the it no, yes. that, that's the question. All of it is. Does it transcend There's that human eventually? bias in any of Does it transcend that eventually? That's what true AI would be when it transcends Gigo. Otherwise, it's not really AI. It's just fancy software. Only learn what you teach it, like what you give it access. You want it to eventually actually do we? learn. Do we? No, I don't know. <laughs> that's that's, that's have, a decision have, we got to make. But look, I, uh, the only thing I'd say is we have we live in a very bifurcated world where there's lots of people who you, you think Silicon Valley is uh, oh yeah uh, I do. is one thing. Uh -huh. You know, you can mention uh, your friends down the road at Fox who are clearly something else. We're watching it play out in the news every single day. Goldman Sachs at delivering its new vision to investors yesterday, but didn't get a particularly warm reception. The stock sliding 3.8 percent. It was yesterday's biggest Dow Jones decliner. Analyst press CEO David Solomon over perceived mixed messages around promises to scale up some operations and signal that some parts could be sold. This was particularly true around the consumer business, which we talked to David about uh, yesterday. And uh, they used the phrase strategic alternatives even at one point related to that consumer business. This is the, of course, uh, credit card business for Apple, for General Motors. How much money they're losing on that is still a, an open question and what they can really do with that. He seemed to lean in, I think, during our interview with the idea that he thought that there had been mistakes made, but there were ways to fix them. There's, but then when you say strategic alternatives, are you saying I'm jettisoning this whole thing 
and I and the whole thing was a mistake and I think that people didn't really know you know which was which you look at what you've done you learn you adapt you correct you move forward I think we tried to do too much too quickly and as a result our execution in some areas of this right. wasn't good and so what do you do you correct that and so you know that's that's what businesses do there isn't there isn't a business that that kind of goes through and doesn't have successes but also some stumbles he, he sounded a little frustrated later in the day because he got pressed again and yes. again the same yep. questions that you had asked him in the morning and he said look we, we don't have more answers for you at this point basically right. that's the pushback but i think the frustration comes from the idea that they're not looking at the consumer side of the business at least the credit card side of the business being profitable until at least 2025. Well, who does, what so does goldman want to be exactly it was always i could never be a goldman client i knew that but I don't want to be a client of a person. Because you're not enough? I wouldn't want to be a, cli a client of a firm that would have me. <laughs> as, 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 and all of a sudden, Goldman's going to be, come down to my level where I could. They should have never done that. They've got to they gotta go back. To, I think they had Morgan Stanley envy or something. I'm not sure what caused it. Well, but. no, the, but the Morgan Stanley, if there is Morgan Stanley envy, is a different business. Because Morgan Stanley's not in a consumer business. All right, then, really then, well, then who, pick, a, pick a bank, Bank of America envy. Some, some envy of, of being for the masses. Goldman Sachs, Sachs no, has no, never the, been for the, the masses. Envy, no, the envy is the higher multiple that is applied to sticky money that sits around in wealth, yeah. asset management, and otherwise fee-generating, low-capital-intensive low yeah. businesses. That is what they're looking at. And the idea that trading and investment banking, which, by the way, is a fabulous business when executed properly, and they do a very good job of it, right. probably better than just about anybody in the world, and yet the market, for better or worse, does not give them the multiple because it's lumpy money, right? It's, lu it's a lumpy business. Sometimes what, it's great, that's sometimes it's that's, what, that's how I see Goldman Sachs. Though. That's how I see them. Well, there's an argument you made that you should just Apple lean into that. Huh? And you, there's an argument you made they should just lean into that. They that's just what I mean. Own that's that what they've always been. Right. And own the idea it's going to be lumpy money. And the question is, can you convince an investor public that that actually should get a higher multiple because they're so good at it? Was, was it envy for American Express, though, and right. what they've been able to do? with the premier cards that right. have a higher cachet too. No, I'm not going to base my life on the multiple I get. And then the other question is, is it just an execution story? Boost earnings. So strategically, the it might have been price, the right decision. Andrew, the stock price will follow the earnings. I, you know, the multiple can stay one thing. If but you keep, go up 20% a year in earnings, and your you stock's could, going up 20%. You could make an argument that strategically it was the right idea, and that the execution of it was wrong, which is to say, you want to get in credit cards? Sure. You want to get in credit cards with Apple on those terms? Maybe not, right? I don't know. So that's, that's part, part, the, part of the story. Was New Coke a good idea, just crappy execution? No. Stick with what you do. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, a rare moment of bipartisanship in Congress with CNBC's Eamon Javers in D.C. Washington's mood toward China has definitely changed dramatically. And how do U.S. corporations fit in? Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin in studio. Should Starbucks be in China? Is that good for America? Is it not good for America? Should Nike be there? Should Apple be there? Consumers will choose what products they want to buy and who they want to do business with. And they will discipline companies to be consistent with values that consumers hold dear. All that right after this break. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, 
The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Welcome, everyone, to the Select Committee's first hearing on the Chinese Communist Party's threat to America. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. Welcome back to Squawk Box. A new House panel on China holding its first hearing last night. Joining us right now with the highlights, Eamon Javers. Good morning to you, Eamon. Yeah, good morning, Andrew. This hearing served as something of a historical turning point. Elite Washington opinion coalescing around the idea that the elites have simply been wrong about China for nearly 30 years. The hearing opened with a video montage of oppression throughout Chinese history, from Mao Zedong to Tiananmen Square and the COVID lockdown protests of today. Chairman Mao's totalitarian China will collectivize, industrialize, impossible quotas. Students protest in Beijing's Tiananmen Square. A quarter million PLA troops stormed the city. Now, members of both parties simply have concluded here that the decisions to grant most favored nation trading status to China in 2000 and to admit China to the WTO in 2001 were the starting points for a long downward spiral. And the new chairman of the committee, Republican Mike Gallagher, said he knows who it was inside the United States who aided in all of that. The CCP has found friends on Wall Street, on K Street, in Fortune 500 C Streets, C Suites, in the public health community, who are ready and willing to oppose our efforts to push back. This strategy has worked well in the past, and the CCP is confident it will work again. Our task on this committee is to ensure that it does not. Now, the ranking Democrat on the committee said both parties have just simply been wrong over the years. Over the last three decades, both Democrats and Republicans underestimated the CCP and assumed that trade and investment would inevitably lead to democracy and greater security in the, in the Indo-Pacific region, including in the PRC. Now, the committee also heard from the head of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. He blamed American businesses for failing to stand up to China. Business is untainted. While CCP policies have been destructive, our own policies in some cases have made matters worse. Bringing China into the world trade system in 2000 seemed like a slam dunk, but instead became a spectacular failure of conventional wisdom and elite opinion. Guys, I've got to say, this was a strikingly populist hearing, and it signals that Washington's mood toward China has definitely changed dramatically. Back over to you. question I have is whether you think there's going to be a real sea change in terms of the direction to American business about what they're doing there. I mean, it's already started, but, but you know, how significant that becomes. 
Well, look, Chairman Gallagher of this new committee says he's going to bring American companies before the committee and have them testify on why they're shipping jobs and, and revenue uh, out to China. I mean, this is a committee where both Democrats and Republicans last night were talking about decoupling the U.S. and Chinese economies. That has been sort of a, an edgy, maybe radical idea in some quarters, uh, you know, to consider even the scale of what that would mean. These committee members were committed to that idea being a fundamental goal of where they have to go here, you know, call it a strategic decoupling or whatever modifier you put in front of decoupling. That's what they're talking about here. Uh, I, I think that has stark implications for Wall Street and corporate America. This committee is positioning itself uh, as a pushback to Wall Street and corporate America on this populist theme. Hey, Eamon, yesterday our, our Eunice Yoon was talking a little bit about this and just saying that she, she's hearing from companies, multinational companies, American companies that have businesses in China, about this idea of kind of hiving things or siloing things, uh, where you take the Chinese business and you, you try and set it aside, create a little bit of distance. Chinese officials, uh, both on a, a high level as well as um, on a lower level of the government, are really pulling out all the stops to try to attract U.S. investment into China. Uh, the directive has come all the way from the top, from President Xi Jinping, who has been saying that there should be greater effort to uh, attract more and welcome uh, more foreign capital as well as foreign investment. You think that will fly with with some of these politicians who are really going after it, just the idea that you can say that there's a Chinese wall, so to speak, between the two businesses, or are they going to want to see much more action? Yeah, I think they're going to want to see much more action. The question is whether they can put teeth to that. Uh, you know, rhetorically, you know, this idea that, you know, we have a Chinese unit and it's totally separate, but all the revenue uh, and all the profits and all the benefits flow up to the same stovepipe, like that's not necessarily going to work uh, for these committee members, just based on the way they were operating last night. Uh, but can this committee actually come together and push new legislation that gets through Congress and signed by the president? That's an enormous challenge in this uh, very divided Washington. And, and the committee members at last night were at pains to say how bipartisan they are uh, on this issue. And they certainly demonstrated that for the most part. There are a couple of partisan flashpoints last night. But just the, the scale of, of grievance against China and blame uh, against China for all sorts of things, right? The, the fentanyl and the opioid epidemic, the hollowing out of the American workforce, the COVID uh, situation and potential lab leak theory, uh, the idea of the U.S. economy overall, uh, the spy balloon, uh, the concerns about TikTok and spying on, on American teenagers. I mean, all of that was on full display last night, and I think all of it uh, was sort of refreshing for some of these members of Congress who've been at each other's throats for so long. Uh, now they have somebody else uh, to really unite and, and go after. That political dy dynamic is new um, bipartisan, in a bipartisan way. We saw the Trump administration push that way aggressively for four years, and now we're seeing Democrats get on board with that, and we'll see where the president lands. Eamon, thank you. Tensions rise between the U.S. and China. Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin is taking a stand against the C uh, CCP. He banned TikTok on state devices, and he's backed a bill protecting farmland uh, from being purchased by the Chinese government. Uh, Governor, it's great to have you in the studio. Great, great to be with you all. Oh, it's, like it's like old home week here. It is. It's really it fun is. to be with you. Nice to see you. Jack, it's gone. We like that. Some of us. Some of us like that. Uh, I understood uh, some farmland uh, concerns in some of the western states. Do you have sensitive uh, places in Virginia that they are they buying? They don't want to. They don't want to uh, grow some corn. Is yeah, there a I mean, th this is this is a real issue. And, and let's just step back. I mean, of course, what we've seen is the CCP and the Chinese government 
become much more aggressive about progressing their strategy, which is to dominate the world. Let's just be clear. And they're going to do it at the United States' expense. And they're using every arsenal uh, element that they have, from mili military coercion to economic coercion to surveillance. And, and it's showing up everywhere. And yes, in our, own, in our own farmland, I mean, we have the Pentagon. We have Quantico. We have the largest naval base in the world. We have Wallops Island that's launching rockets uh, 10 times a year. And they're, they're surrounded by farmland in some certain cases, not Pentagon. Is that, where they're, is that the farmland and, they're interested in? And we're not going to allow these bad actors to buy this farmland. Are, they, it was shopping? Bipartisan. Are they shopping around there? <laughs> we, we know that there has been, there's been substantial purchases of farmland across the United States. Yes. And there has been farmland purchases in Virginia. And we're just not going to let it happen. And I find it's much better to close the barn door before the horse gets out than to let the horse get out and then wring our hands and say, what are we going to do? I mean, you throw in Balloon Gate, you, you look at the islands, you worry about Taiwan, you look at the, uh, the partnership with Putin. It, none of it uh, makes me feel uh, you, you know, secure about no. our, our relationship with China in the well, future. And, and look what's happened just in the last few years. China has become far more brazen in progressing their agenda. And yes, it was... It was it was the, the extraordinarily um, uh, aggressive take on Hong Kong and clamping down on any sense of democracy in Hong Kong. It's a, it's a communist government, let's be clear. It's using their economic might in order to project their will around the world. And it is not just saber rattling, but they're building a land bridge to Taiwan. And Taiwan's future is hugely strategic. And so this is a real issue. I am glad that we're watching our, con our congressional oversight committees jump in. It is bipartisan. What's been most interesting is to watch this no longer be a Republican issue, but to be a bipartisan issue. I mean, even Chuck, Chuck Schumer said that we have to unite around our strategy to deal with the CCP. Well, you know what we cover here on CNBC. What does all this mean for a corporation A, Corporation B, Corporation C, Corporation C, Nike, Starbucks. I mean, take your pick. All Tesla, Apple, Tesla, Ford, you go Apple. Just yeah. go down the. Uh, I mean, it, it's business as usual. The NBA, it's still business as usual. Does that need to change? It, it it needs to change in the sense that there are select industries that we must be proactive in making sure we have trusted supply chains in. I mean, you look back at the Inflation Reduction Act and what was trying to be accomplished in the Inflation Reduction Act, which was, which was for the first time to have a view that we need trusted supply chains in electric vehicles and solar panels and wind turbines. You look at what was done in the CHIPS Act and recognizing that we, are gonna, we need a trusted semiconductor industry. Do you like the CHIPS Act? I hate to interrupt you, but you see now that you gotta have childcare, it's gotta be union, child care, basically. I mean, across the board, it's a Democrat wish list for stuff that they couldn't pass and build back better. And they actually admitted it. Yeah. They, they, I think Gina Raimondo said, look, these are things Congress didn't do, so we're going to do it here. I mean, you're making a Faustian deal. Yeah, Would you well, do it? And, and, well, the Were short answer is the skinny CHIPS Act I was for. The expanded CHIPS Act invades the, the independence of companies to make decisions for No buybacks for five years? No buybacks. No buybacks for five years in the new CHIPS Act but will allow Chinese companies to come into the United States and get access, but, but what, get access to our incentives for EVs. What does this mean for companies sense. like Intel? Because if you talk to the CEO of Intel, he'll tell you, look, we're ready to roll in Ohio, but I can't get the money. The Commerce Department hasn't sent the checks yet, and if yeah. we have all these strings that come attached to it, yeah. it puts off the idea that we're actually going to start building chips. Yeah, we, we, have, we have to get through all the partisan politics and actually 
press forward with what was promised. And I think Pat's got a great strategy in Ohio. I wish they had come to Virginia. We came close. We're recruiting companies like that to Virginia. But the money needs to flow because this is the investment that has to happen now. And part of our challenge is the pace it takes to build capacity to compete. And we find ourselves at this moment where we know we need to build semiconductor capacity. We know we need to build electric vehicle uh, battery capacity. We know we need to build solar panel technology capacity and turbine capacity. But we're diddling around on the edges and making it hard to do this. I'll repeat, though, we need trusted supply chains. And the big challenge that we're seeing is that when things get tough with regards to what I would call their political agenda, the progressive Democrats break. I mean, if something is going to if something's going to stand in, in the way of, of their progressive agenda, then they'll break and they'll compromise. We cannot compromise. We have to move fast. We have to move with certainty. And we have to recognize that the Chinese government does this in their home market. I mean, when, when I was at Carlisle, the Chinese government demonstrated clearly that they were going to have a protectionist approach to their home market. And now what they're doing is they're exporting imperial economics. And they are pressing around the world in order to inject their philosophy, which, let's remind ourselves, is communism, not democracy. So, they don't play by the same so rules we do. So what's strategic for you? This is a broader question. We, we talk about business. There may be certain industries and supply chain issues that you care about. Do you think financial services companies and big investment firms like BlackRock and Bridgewater and Carlyle and others should be investing uh, in businesses in China? Should that be off limits? Should Starbucks be in China? Is that good for America? Is it not good for America? Should Nike be there? Should Apple be there? I mean, it goes back to Joe's question, but which are the businesses that you say, uh, this is fine and I'm cool with it? This is a business I'm not cool with? Is it, is it business by business or is it, you know what, we just don't like the whole thing? Yeah, I, well, first of all, I do believe that if, if businesses want access to the Chinese domestic market, they're going to play by Chinese rules. And we, in fact, have to establish what our rules are. And there are strategic sectors that must, in fact, right. be, be managed in a way that bad actors aren't allowed right. to invade the supply chain. And, and we know those sectors. So, so it it's, okay? it's not, it's not right. shoes. Right. But, it's but, not shoes, but, but it is semiconductors. But is investing in China unto itself and being in business in China unto itself either a problem? Is it? Um, uh, it and the reason I, I ask this is, you know, we have businesses, U.S. businesses that get involved in politics and other social issues here in the United States. And then people say, well, you know, this makes no sense. How could they be saying this if they're actually doing business in China where they're playing by, as you just said, the Chinese rules, and by playing by the Chinese rules unto itself, does that give sort of either cover or license or, or just even, you know, something else to China that you think strategic, strategically is not a, the right idea? Well, first of all, I, I believe in free markets, and I do believe that at the end of the day, consumers will choose what products they want to buy and who they want to do business with, and they will discipline companies to be consistent with values that consumers hold dear. Oh my God! It sounds like ESG. And 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 that is the that is the big challenge that we've got right now, which is, in fact, in China, the the government is saying you will do business our way. And by right. the way, we, right. know, we know their way. Their way is to is to not only foster but to steal steal right. uh, intellectual that's property. Why, that's why and then send hard. it back. It, but that's why the, the conundrum is we some. I can believe in free markets, right? The idea that a business, could, but then you're going to go do business in a in a country that doesn't believe in free markets, and is that 
right? This is a philosophical yeah, but, question. But, but, but Andrew, the, the, re the reality is that you know, our economy's 25 plus trillion and, and China's 22, 23 trillion, trillion. And these economies are in fact um, intertwi intertwined. Right. That's why we have to be very specific about sectors that we are not going to allow right. the Chinese government to invade. He just mentioned uh, ESG. No, I, because oh. of, did you see Chuck Schumer's no, piece I know. today? It's and the same a, thing you say, that it's the shareholders that are pushing these companies to embrace well, that's ESG, what I, what I and about. therefore it is a free market. You and Chuck, I, no. no I'm not, not, I'm not, I'm uh, hold on. Where, let's uh, but we only got a minute, but we only have a minute left. And we just, I just want to... to, to why are, you, why are you in New York? Are you, do you come here often? I, 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 I come here occasionally. I'm recruiting companies. Will you come back here so we can yeah. talk? Because yeah. you got to come back before 2024. But, but while we have a minute left, I do want to ask you about 2024. We had Vice President, former Vice President Pence on. And we talked about him, Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, whomever. He said Republican voters will, do, will pick the right candidate. Did you see some of the recent polls that are just out? Donald Trump's up again. By a lot of people. Do you think Donald Trump is, is, is the right nominee in, in 2024? And if, if, if the Republican primary voters pick him, will you support? Uh, well, so first of all, I'm going to support the Republican nominee. Whoever it is. Whoever okay. it is. Do you think um, it should be? Uh, well, here's what, here's what like, I do uh, know. President in, Trump? In, in, his, in historic uh, primary races, the, the early leaders um, oftentimes are not the ultimate, ultimate winner. And in fact, in 2016, Donald Trump at this stage was hardly in the running. But he had a so, plurality, which he could have again if there's five, six, seven. If you're, are you going to be a candidate? I'm, I am focused on Virginia right now. I'm, I'm always humbled by this topic. You know, I've been doing this for two years now. Right. And, uh, and I do think the reason why people are asking this question of me is because the issues that I'm dealing with in Virginia are the same issues that the nation's blue, dealing it's with. It's a blue state and, that you won. I and, don't we're, know how. And, and we're winning. I yeah. mean, we're driving our economic uh, development. We're, we're, we're driving education to a new place and raising the ceiling and the floor. We're making sure that law enforcement is supported, not demeaned. And you're doing it nicely, right, Becky? And, He's and, we're, and we're, do, we're doing it in a successful way in a state that truly is purple. And we've got a we've got a Democrat-controlled It's a bluish pur purple. Yeah. Well, uh, it's like all, all that money is seeping into it yeah. from. Uh, you know, we were able in 2021 to elect a Republican governor, lieutenant governor, and attorney general. We took back to our everyone's house. shock yeah. in in chagrin on that on the other side. Yeah, but it was Terry McAuliffe. You had that going for you. Well, we, 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 I think we 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 brought alive a view in Virginia that we could do better. And it really wasn't Republicans versus Democrats. It was all of a sudden a moment where parents came together and said, I want a better education for my children and I'm tired of being pushed out of my kid's life. It was communities coming together and said, I'm so tired of the murder rate going up all the time. It was businesses coming together and saying, I'm tired of anti-business regulations. See, now it sounds like you're running. It's, so I, I, it's I, people coming together it, it saying, we, we want Virginia you to You promise be that next time you're here, you'll be sitting here again, Absolutely. jacketless. Absolutely. Governor Young can thank you. It's great. great. Thanks all, for, to all, all three right. of you. Look Appreciate at him. you. Look at him booking guests on the set, no less. Yeah. You know, it's in our best interest to hear from everyone. Next on Squawk Pod, Eli Lilly capping the price of insulin. CNBC's Meg Terrell has this big news. We'll have to see what effect this has on the pharmacy benefits managers and sort of the pressure this places on Novo and Sanofi. Do they also feel like they need to lower the list prices? From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, 
AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Stand under by in three, two, one, cue Andrew. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. Got a lot going on. Some news just out from Eli Lilly and Meg Terrell joins us with that. Meg, good morning. Good morning, Becky. Eli Lilly announcing that it is price it's cutting the price of its uh, most commonly prescribed forms of insulin uh, pretty significantly. Insulin, of course, has been one of the uh, poster children for high drug prices in the U.S. There's been a ton of pressure on companies. Congress has tried to act, but now uh, Lilly is taking a step that's even further than what we've seen before, actually lowering the list price of its insulins, Humalog and Humulin, by 70%. That'll go into effect in the fourth quarter. They also have a non-branded insulin they're going to bring down to $25 per vial from uh, more than $80. They'll also be launching an interchangeable biosimilar uh, to Sanofi's Lantus, a major insulin uh, that'll cost $92 per five pack. And they say they'll also automatically cap uh, the out-of-pocket costs patients have at the pharmacy counters to $35 before a patient's had to go to the website and download sort of a, a savings card. So that's going to make it much easier to get that $35 cost. Uh, Lilly CEO Dave Rick saying in a statement this morning, quote, while the current healthcare system provides access to insulin for most people with diabetes, it still does not provide affordable insulin for everyone. And that needs to change. And guys, we've all heard the horrible stories of people being forced to ration their insulin because it is too expensive. A study late last year found that 16% of insulin users rationed their medicines. That's more than a million people nationwide. And this can have horrible consequences, including in some cases, people dying from having to ration their insulin. You, you know, what's happened uh, previously uh, is that there's this spread between the actual list price and the net price that's realized by the companies. And they've argued that uh, they're not raising the prices. It's the pharmacy benefits managers that are sort of forcing costs higher. You can see here from Lilly, the blue is the list price of insulin, uh, $275 a vial. They're only realizing, they say, $43 of that. And so what's significant this morning is they're actually lowering that list price. This is something we almost never see drug companies do. Lilly is one of the big three insulin makers. The others are Sanofi and Novo Nordisk. So we'll have to see what the reaction here is, both across the industry uh, and in Washington. Guys? Yeah, Meg, that was going to be my question. The World Health Organization has said that the prices are so high because there are these three companies that control about 90% of the world's insulin supply. Um, what do you anticipate the reaction is going to be? Right now you see Eli Lilly shares down while Sanofi and Novo Nordisk are up. But doesn't this put pressure on those companies to bring down prices too? Yeah, it probably does, Becky. I mean, it's this really complex system where the companies have said, you know, they can't lower the list price because they have to pay these huge rebates to the pharmacy benefits managers in order to get good placement on formularies, the lists that decide which drugs we're able to get and get paid for. Uh, and so we'll have to see what 
effect this has on the pharmacy benefits managers and sort of the pressure this places on Novo and Sanofi? Do they also feel like they need to lower the list prices? There's been a ton of focus on this in Washington. And of course, the Biden administration did manage to cap the costs uh, for people who have Medicare at $35 per month, uh, but that didn't cover commercial insurance. So uh, there's still a lot of folks who need help with this. Meg, this is a longer question. We, we don't need to dive into it now, but I'd love to have you look into at some point whether pharmacy benefits managers are, are good or bad in terms of what they bring to the system, what it means for prices across the board. It's a question that's been debated for a long time. Yeah, and Congress is looking into it, too. The pressure pressure does seem to be ratcheting up. Okay. Meg, thank you. Meg Terrell. That is Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern and follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. If you have been listening for a while, please let us know what you think. You can rate or review Squawk Pod on Apple Podcasts or send us a tweet with your thoughts. We are at Squawk CNBC. You can tweet me as well. I'm Kramer underscore Katie. I know it's a mouthful, but it was 2009 and I never thought I'd have to say it out loud like this. However you reach out, we love to hear from you. Have a great first day of March and we'll meet you right back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 